Welcome to the Tesseract Podcast. Today's guest is a close friend of mine and a recent business partner. It's Mr. Mike Malian. For those of you who are not familiar with him, he is the drummer for Monuments. He is a multi-instrumentalist. He is a fantastic teacher. He knows a fair few things about whiskey. He is just a genuinely lovely and interesting dude to have a conversation with. Before we get into the real meat of the podcast, I'd like to spend 60 seconds just to tell you very quickly about a very cool platform that I'm involved in at the moment. It's an online platform called Patreon, and what it does, it enables creative people to share their work with their online followers, their fans and friends, um, for a small monthly fee. We're all so used to getting our content online for free these days, but if you consider how much time you spend sitting through video adverts and how much time you sit ignoring sponsored adverts, it's not really free. Patreon offers an alternative to that. There are no algorithms, no adverts, it's just straight honest content from the creative people that you're interested in. So I have my own Patreon page where I upload drum videos and drum lesson videos. Uh, it's all content that's been upvoted by my patrons, the people who follow me and support me. I also have a limited offer in place for 25 one-on-one -on -one drum students. So if you're interested in that, head over to patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash j-a-y-p-o-s-t-o-n-e-s drums, drums, and check out the content that I've put up there. There are some cool lessons already there. And if you're interested in the one-on-one -on -one lessons, I've still got a couple of spaces left, but they are going like hotcakes now. Without further ado, without taking up any more of your time, Please enjoy this lovely conversation with Mr. Mike Malian. Welcome to the Tesseract podcast, Mr. Mike Malian. Thanks for having me, man. It's all good. Um, we've known each other for a bloody long time, it's fair to say. Mm -hmm. um, for any yeah, since 2012, we've met, actually, no, beforehand. Before that. Yeah. I can't even remember when we first met. I can, and I'm going to talk about it in a minute. Um, uh, yeah. I literally can. I can remember. I remember everything. Um, was it Brighton? It was Brighton, yeah. It was Brighton. It was Brighton. Yeah. So for those of you who are listening to this for the first time, um, this is a Tesseract podcast featuring members of Tesseract interviewing people that we know from around the world, musical people and people that you might find interesting to hear us talk at and answer questions about. Um, <laughs> Mike is the drummer for Monuments, a band that we've toured with back in the day. Um, we toured on, first and foremost, we toured on the LXD tour, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen tour with Periphery, Monuments and Tesseract. And I have here... You don't. Uh, mine's in a drawer somewhere, yep. but that's awesome. I've got, this is, for anyone watching on YouTube, this is the uh, all-access pass for that, uh, for that little run. This one actually... Is, that one hasn't got monuments that's on it. Not got that's not got monuments France. on it. That, no, it's not France. That is uh, Australia. But this was the oh. same uh, the same round of touring. I think we were probably just, maybe, the bands at that time in our lives were too young to have nice tour laminates. I think it was the kind of thing where you turn up and you get given a stamp on the hand to play most of those venues. Um, yeah. And then the second time we toured together, unless I'm forgetting a tour, we've probably done some one-off shows in the UK. Well, we did a bunch of Algorithm Tesseract stuff algorithm when I was playing for the Algorithm. Yes. We did Russia, we did Europe. We did. 
Yeah, we did. Quite... I remember I, I somehow got to a point where we had Khan, the singer from Heart of a Coward, driving us, and we had so much room in the back of his van that I was just putting my whole drum rack in whole into the back because it was just like, well, why pack it down when you've got two guys... DJ equipment and a drum kit in a in a, like a nine seater splitter. I was just trying to put my whole rack in without disassembling it, and it didn't work very well. That's honestly what I do with Tesseract, though, because we the way we tour the US, we've always got these massive trailers, and it's so much easier for me to just put like not take the rack apart, just stick it in the trailer, and then the next day just tom 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 symbol symbol symbol. I'm done in like twenty minutes. Um, oh, that's amazing. The second time I think we toured with Monuments was. Um, that one yeah that was the russian tour the russia tour. i think I, I slept for four hours over four days on that tour. oh man yeah Do you remember the night train between oh yes i remember the night saint train. petersburg so i i've done russia three times and i think it was one of them was monuments tesseract the other one was algorithm tesseract and the other one was monuments activist or i more more likely algorithm activist mm. um but i do remember that one being specifically quite quite a fun one yeah i mean that one um we're i mean we can go into that because that was hilarious um <laughs> we we turned up and it was when i think tesseract were touring of the altered state material from my from my memory because ash was was that was it ash or was it dan it ash been. was singing for you dan was singing for sky harbor because I remember yeah. hearing about Dan coming to say hi at the backstage while you were all getting together and setting up, and it was like, yeah. Yeah, there was some uh, some bullshits. Um, <laughs> so I remember uh, our tour manager, um, I, I'd been told that the, the, the drum kit was going to stay on the stage because I'm like, I have to be millimeter perfect with my kit because I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm a bad drummer, basically. It's got to be my kit or no kit. <laughs> And I think you guys and Anoop, in through was playing drums in Sky Harbor, Anoop Sastry, um, you'd been told something different. So yeah, we've been told that we had like pick of the drums that you had your own thing, and we had a choice between these kits that we could work out between ourselves. Yeah, and so we've made our plan, brought it, and before we've realised it, we've just found out like, nope, that's not allowed. That's not good. And obviously, like, <laughs> have we just talked? with you we would have known that like that would have happened but a huge miscommunication and we're on stage trying to take your stuff and then tour manager's like no you're gonna leave and that. i'm like, backstage going on? i don't want anything to do with this it seems stressful <laughs> we were just a bit young and uh, we were gun, young and like, naive we didn't know how to yeah, talk yeah. like no, sensibly no, no. and yeah we, we ended up like i was convinced after that experience that i, I was like i was a dick and no. a, a noob was like a noob and you would like hated me and it was my first time meeting a noob and i'm oh, like oh man but no, then i mean we toured with a noob uh on a protest the hero tour i think it was protest hero tour um in 2014 probably and um i i had the bunk immediately above him and it, it was like within about five minutes it was hilarious and fun um apart from his snoring oh my god oh really he was a beast of oh. a snorer um but yeah um what i wanted to go back to because we've gone <laughs> all is, over yeah it hasn't even been what five minutes and we've already flown off the side exactly um so the first time we met was it was tesseract's second or third show ever 
and we were in Brighton at a venue that I can't remember the name of, but it's on the main stretch as you're driving from like the motorway down to the seafront, um, and you've got that weird like castle church looking thing in the middle of a park on your right, mm-hmm. and on the left was a venue, and um, I remember that show for a few reasons. Uh, on the load in, I managed to reverse my car into a lamppost, which was great. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't ever do that and I, I was just driving and then all of a sudden bunk and I'd smack the car into a bloody lamppost um, the second reason was that Dan nearly passed out singing Nascent one of our earlier songs at that show because he was like I mean we were all very young naive didn't know what we were doing and he was going for it really screaming the screamy parts of that song and there's a video that I've got of him on an old hard drive where he's like just circling with his eyes closed and he was like yeah I was I couldn't see anything I was passing out because I I thought he was just in the zone no like, he was we passing it was out part of the performance because <laughs> we were going crazy because I had um I was still just like a huge fan of all that kind of music and I was just with my school friends and we were like we listened to Tesseract all the time we listened to Fell Silent all the time I wasn't in the scene or in any band of any notable notable thing I was just loving it and yeah, we were just headbanging loads and it was like the time of our lives. So I think we just thought he was just a really spacey performer. And the way he performs when he gets in the zone, it's kind of similar. It was just like, I thought he was just trying out new moves or something. Maybe. I mean, maybe that's what he does. He has to get himself deprived of oxygen, like starve his brain of oxygen for a couple of minutes and then he can uh, then he can perform. I don't think that's what he does. But no. um, And the other thing, and I'm pretty sure I was told this on the day, is that Oh, sorry, my GoPro was trying to turn back on. No, thank you, GoPro. You broke a minute ago. Um, the other thing was um, Ackle introducing you to me, or at least telling me, because you were on a sofa at the back of the room with someone, and I came over to say hi, because I think Ackle had said to me that you were the new Fell Silent drummer. Yeah, that was what it was at the beginning, was like me joining into Fell Silent, but... But there's a bit of a story behind that, which not so many people know, was that um, I was really following Fell Silent. MySpace, top top friends, is how I discovered Fell Silent, is how I discovered Tesseract. And I was following Fell Silent at the time when Ackle left. And then I found monuments on the top friends of Fell Silent in a similar way. And I was like, this is sick. I found Danza, Josh Travis, what the fuck. And then I see the blog post on MySpace blogs. I don't know if you remember them. And it was I like... I remember them, if I'm honest. No. Oh, man. Well, that's how I joined the band. I just saw monuments looking for people to jam with as a no side way. project. So I did a video of the first ever version of Memoirs as an instrumental. And I, within a few days, received contact back from Brown saying... Yeah, actually, that was a ruse. Everyone left Fell Silent, and now we're uh, looking for a new lineup for Fell Silent. And I was just shit my pants and just like, well, okay. So for about three or four months, I was the Fell Silent drummer. We didn't have any. I think we had like one prospective show, which was a pitch show that we'd but the guys decided to make it monuments Milton because Keynes the music. Pitch. Yeah, the yeah, last yeah. ever pitch show was the only time oh, I ever went way. there. Yeah before they moved that big PA into the half of it, into the Crawford Arms that's still yeah. there. Um, yeah, like, and I just, uh, yeah. And th- but the new material was sounding completely different and it was going in a different direction and they didn't feel right about calling it something that it just really wasn't anymore. So mm. Monuments was born then. So, but at the time that you met me, 
yeah, I, I guess I was the Phil Silent Jama, but I was probably it was probably in at Nima's studio in Spalding or something. Yeah, mm. I remember that place. Yeah. Bloody hell. So that's you got started in monuments basically through a MySpace post. Through MySpace blogs. Yeah. Thanks it's to crazy. Top Friends. Man, Top yeah. Friends blogs, that, that worked. Nothing has worked as well as that ever since. Yeah. It's crazy actually, like thinking back to like that era of the internet and how people got in touch and communicated and whatever. Before there were these kind of group messaging things, before that took over, um, it was just group emails. I was in emails with the band and we, I've got in old email uh, addresses, I've got so many early messages that are just the entire band talking nonstop for a day. And it, it's long ass emails from everyone. It's old demos. I mean, there's literally probably, I can go back and pull all of the old early Tesseract demos just out of an old Gmail that's sat somewhere uh, on the cloud. Hmm. Um, so let me think I'll just see which direction to take this because I've always got a kind of pattern that I like to do with these podcasts um, a question that I was asked yesterday by a fan right I, I I did a massive blog post yesterday when I thought this would be a better answer to reach more people than just me sitting and responding on my phone over the next 10 minutes and I think it would be a good question for you to answer to the world as well Sure. Um, a guy reached out to me on Instagram and asked me, um, basically, um, if there was a specific moment in my life that I decided or realized that music was going to be my career. Mm. And I, I knew from a very young age that music was my only choice. And it was, it was as simple as that. It, it, it seems naive because when you go and see a careers advice person at your school and they're like, you would be good at customer service and building computers or whatever. And you know, you're then supposed to plan out the next 40, 50 years of your life based on their advice. And when someone goes in and says, hey, I wanna actually, I wanna play music. And they're like, yeah, but what do you really wanna do? Um, it was, well, I want to I play music. Mm. So uh, for me, it was always obvious. And my in my blog post, I go into all of that. But I'm just interested to hear about your experience. Like, have you always just been like, yes, yeah, music, obviously. Or have you been like, yeah, it's music, but I'm going to try and keep something else down. And like, what's your thoughts? I think like it's a much more like pure answer than just like a career decision because it just was like a life decision but i'll get deep for a minute and it'll make sense but like like music is it's totally a language unlike english or any other like spoken language it's a subconscious language it's an emotional language you can talk with emotion but music is like like painting or like artistic expression it's a way for the whole mind to sort of talk and to get its feelings heard and whatnot um and when you're younger you can really learn languages easier and I think I was just always really naturally musical in terms of a communicator and my mum was such a great teacher my my parents just had music around everywhere and so when I gravitated towards that I could you know my mum would sing to me and I would sing with her in some of the Hebrew songs that she used to teach um, and I would sing them before I'd be speaking English because it was just like it was just so mm. natural. So 
in terms of being able to communicate with that language was like an enabled and like really passionate connection from the word go. And then I remember there being some gigs that my dad took me to. And I remember starting to think like, I want to be on the other side of the security barrier. That was the strong thought to like eight, 10 year old me. Um, the first one was when he took me to see Peter Gabriel um, at the Wembley Arena. And that was magical. We He'd shown me the DVDs with downside up, you know, walking upside down the rotating stage. Um, you know Salisbury Hill, where he's riding the bicycle against the rotation of the of the of the in the round stage. Um, there was also a show before that that I have like fragmented memory of, which was Amaluna by Cirque du Soleil, and I have like such a love of Cirque du Soleil because I was young enough that the wonder of that show like it really hit me. So seeing those and those, you know, just that that energy, that passion, and being in a room full of people being moved by that was like. Yeah, I'd I'd love to live here. This would this would be a great place to to do things. So, and then everyone just seemed to around me just seemed to go like, well, yeah, you can probably do this and do it as your life thing. Like, you might not have to sacrifice anything else. So, I would learn this instrument or that instrument, and then sort of rebelled against the classical mindset I was on to work my way to where to metal. And um, but yeah, I think that's the great thing about prog and gen and tech techie stuff is it's like it's got the same requirement for study as classical but it's also free and you're able to do whatever you want with it although now you have to do things in a syncopated polyrhythmic way so we're probably even more limited than classical musicians at this Mm. point but i don't know how we got here but that's that's the those are the moments that led up to it it's not a simple answer but like i i really feel that and um i can never thank my parents enough for that leg up because i've just you know, being able yeah. to get here thanks to that. Yeah, I think um, I kind of enjoy mentioning it whenever there is an opportunity to mention it because my my parents were massively supportive of like all of my choices to do music um, from a very young age. They they got me, I, I guess, just as a toy. They got me a, a little keyboard um, for my third or fourth Christmas. I think it was my third. And pretty much immediately I could just do, I, I knew nursery rhyme type things. I could just do, 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 you know, basic stuff I got very quickly. And then I got a bigger keyboard and then I got a bigger keyboard. And then I was like, drums? And they were very supportive all the way through it. Um my dad would drive me to music rehearsals, like, which was a bit of a pain in the ass because it was him driving me there, then going back home and watching whatever was on TV until nine, ten o'clock when I'd finished. Then he'd come and get me, and it's not as simple as just putting a microphone in a case and walking away. It's a yeah. drum. I mean, did you practice you at know, home? This is a, did, you, did you get a kit? I had a terrible drum kit at home that was a. I I just rushed the decision of buying a drum kit. I, I could have got something half decent, but I went to a music store in Wolverhampton and p- pointed at the drum kit I wanted in a catalogue that was, I think it was £350. It was a Honor LEX drum kit, and it was just a black plastic wrap around 
splintery wood, for want of a better word. Like if you put your hand around the inside of it, you would have got splinters in your hand. It was like it oh was wow, rough. and you could you couldn't. It was really weird because I, I tried to put other drum heads on it and they basically didn't fit like i just had to use these heads that came with it it was really it was not a good kit but it got me started and i within a couple of years i upgraded to a premier artist birch Mm. kit i bought that through my school um but yeah they they were my parents would, would drive me to and from rehearsals to and from shows um they helped me out financially to buy gear um, I remember sitting up with my dad one night watching a Tascam recorder on eBay that was like counting down and I could see, I was like, oh my God, I'm, if I had this, I'd be able to record all these ideas at home. And he sat with me and he was like, well, what is it? I'm like, you know, like a four track, eight track type thing. Yeah. He was like, oh yeah. So, but then if you had that, you'd be able to record. He was like, oh, okay, so let's, let's, let's watch the auction go down. And he was like, oh, why don't you put, put a bid in? How much? How much was it going to be? And it ended up being like six, seven hundred quid or something. But we won it. We wow. won this thing. And then I, I had the means of like recording. Oh, my dad paid for it. And I had the means of recording whatever I wanted to on this thing. And it was like, oh my God. And it, from going from like recording things really terribly with a microphone, little microphone pointed at an acoustic guitar and like programming drums terribly back, back in the day into my computer. I went from that to having all this multi-track in a box, but you know what I mean? This capacity that was just beautiful. So having supportive parents is basically what I was trying to say, which is what you were talking about. It's a huge thing. I have so much respect. I mean, a lot of our peers haven't had that and we do it on the same level. And I I can't even imagine how hard that would have been having not had both emotional support, uh, belief um, and Mm. financial support. I, I just... I just don't get how that might have been possible. Um, but then I've got so many friends who've been working it out for themselves for such a long time and they're killing it. And it's amazing, you know, like um, I ha- there's so much I can learn from them in terms of like, yeah, you know, you have to really stick through it if you've got to fight against that and work out your own way of making that happen. Or, you know, people find support from other other walks of life or whatever, but... um. But yeah, no, I'm... You've got an emotional advantage if you've got supportive parents, if, if you end up in a creative industry, I think. Yeah, fully. I think that's, yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's a great question. So, like... Yeah, it, it, it struck a chord with me because I, I was like, yeah, there's like, uh, as much as I've always known that I'm always going to be a musician, which is naive, it's totally naive, like, uh, you know, to be so certain of it, from a young age yeah. there hasn't been another choice it's just i mean maybe it's not naive well maybe, no we just didn't uh, know what finances were back then or like uh whatever um like or what what those requirements would have actually been um the yeah. reality of it and it was just like well but i, I kind of feel like as if whenever it's come up we've gone like okay well we'll find a way to deal with this and that and the other however means that we can just still keep doing this you know it's they're like yeah their means to an end and the end is the that, yeah. that thing. The end is, the, is that thing in the background. Yeah. For me, it's this thing in the background <laughs> for anyone watching on YouTube. it's mm. You've got your real drum kit set up and yeah. I've got a, a beast of an electric kit. It's a Roland TD50 set up oh, behind me, which man. is absolute monster. Yeah. 
Um, They're great. What are you playing at the moment? That what uh, is my? That's still the same vibe kit that I've been touring since they hooked me up with that. It's an aluminium kit. The kit and Tom's little aluminium. I recently got this DW steel snare drum. That's just like it is. Uh, it's so. I'll I'll show you because this the mic will probably pick it up well enough. Hang on. I'll go twat it for you. Oh dear! I'm gonna to have to take my headphones off. Oh no! It's gonna be so loud. Oh my god! Jeez. Yeah, that sounds sick. Like I've been playing six point five inch deep snares for as long as I can remember. If I've never mm. owned a shallower snare, this is my first ever mm. five point five, and it's so responsive. Like the ghosts, they just—they're just so trebly. Steel snares yeah. are gorgeous. This, and I got really lucky with this. Someone, um, I'm on a a Facebook group called Control Room, run by a producer called Ramesh Dodangoda. It's an amazing group, um, and in there, there's a like a sort of a closed, um, buy sell group in there. And someone was just clearing out a studio, and I was and I looked through the Excel documents, like, oh, maybe there's a bargain this time. Like the hundred times I've looked in one of these, and there hasn't been one. This time I see DW snare steel um, broken. Um, threaded lug, and I'm like, I know how to sort a lug. I could get a new oh, lug. I can sort that. So yeah. I just got it without thinking. I uh, got it. And you know how um, TW screws are 32, or around about 32 um, threads per inch, and normal mm. drum screws are 24 threads per inch. All he'd done was shoved a 24 into one of the DW lugs. I and oh. so I, so like I clamp I clamped it, twisted it out. And then I have, um, I've got another DW kit that has sat unplayed for a long time, uh, a beautiful maple um, collectors. And I just took one of the lugs, one of the screws from that, and I just popped it in, and it worked fine. The only problem is, is that in it being forced in, it sort of made the inside of the lugs spin around. I tried to, yeah. and my dad helped me, my dad's an amazing engineer, um, and he helped me put a shiv in by the like a metal shiv in by the nut to stop it from rotating um but it didn't work very well so all it means is that when you reskin it and we've moved that we turned it upside down now so now it's a thing for the resonant head not the batter head so it's less likely to be yeah, wrong but if we if we yeah. change the resonant head when you initially tension it up you've just got to clamp it and when once the tension starts to come in you can stop doing that because the, it will hold itself in place through the tension of the lug so it's not really like a big deal it has a little bit of scraping on it you can see the kind of the the metal underneath but like you're never going to notice that and so yeah mm. no it was i i could not believe my luck when i got that i was like but i can understand if you're running a studio and you've got a ton of drums and this one just doesn't work and you just don't have time to work it out you're like i just want the space then <laughs> Yeah, absolutely blown away. I don't want to tour with any other drum, and it sucks because all my all my cases are six point fives, except for my um my trusty uh, hard rock that's still sat here. That one go. will be whatever you depth you want. Probably, um, I mean, at least a five point five will go in a six point five. Yeah, and, and it's not the other way around. Yeah, yeah. At least it's that way around. But I don't want it to be loose. I mean, I've got a great flight case that I got from an. I bought a snare in Australia. And I couldn't use that because I'd have to put something because, you know, that's like it's just going to knock around all the time. So Is that the braid. Uh, no, it's um, it's a I think it's a, an Australian walnut 
one. It's made by yeah. a guy uh, called Tim Breitling. Uh, his drum company is called Roulette Drums. And um, yeah, he made me, he, he had made one that was a stave construction. And um, I got that from him. And <clears throat> it's lovely, actually. It's really, really nice. Um, I, nice. It's just sort of one of the collection waiting for recordings. But um, now that's, that's that and the Brady are my only two wooden ones. But yeah, it's, it's a nice one. Nice. Um, oh man, I could go off in a tangent about drums. Well, you but built a, snare drums. Wh- why so, d- you know, you you're really there. Uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, I know something about it, but there's it, it's definitely a hobby more than a business mm-hmm. because um, it's it's a full time thing, and I haven't got full time to spend on mm-hmm. it. Um, just cutting very quickly. I don't know if there's something in front of the camera, but your face is obscured by a lot of little white blobby things <laughs> is that the eyelashes Those are the eyelashes <laughs> hang on let me take them off i can't see eyelashes uh, uh, <laughs> i don't know who there you who go put... that's so much better oh I'm man sorry. but i've got an actual camera here recording so like you know <laughs> yeah that's i just right. left them on because i assumed it wasn't obscure of course it's obscuring the lens they're fucking eyelashes i don't know so whoever oh. put these on my damn camera now everyone knows <laughs> I think we had a party well, at I, New Year's. Webcam eyelashes. I don't know, are they actual like? Are these proper eyelashes? Yeah, they look. They don't look like. Yeah, these are like actual. You know. Stick on eyelashes. Yeah, yeah, like proper. Not. They're not like. They don't look like comedy, comedy ones. eyelashes. They look like proper ones. So. Yeah. Not something that you get from a joke shop. They're something that you go and get from <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. or boots. Someone's taken them off while here, probably at that at that New Year's <laughs> party. Because we've got the woods up the back. We went up and you can see all the way to the Shard from here. And it's like 12 miles away. So oh, nice. you can see like a 12-mile vista of London and like miles around. It's a beautiful vantage point. Amazing thing to have because we can have friends over. And it's like best place to have that party. It was It was a beautiful night. But then we came up here and had a really stupid jam. We played like Pirates of the Caribbean out of tune with keyboard drums. <laughs> nice man, that sounds amazing. Um, okay, what's this is question number four. What is your most ridiculous tour story? And the first thing that comes to mind, completely uncensored, good or bad. I'll tell you straight, it, is... there is none that can beat this, um, and it is the reason why no other avocado booking bands could ever play this venue in Munster ever again. So, I'm intrigued. Yeah, Go on. spill the beans, why don't you? Okay, so it's Ollie Steele's birthday. This is the morning of the tour. We're on a tour with After the Burial and um, Born of Osiris. And there had been a few of those tours, and I can't remember of which one there was an opening band. And that might have been the Heart Machine tour, that might have been a different tour, I can't quite remember. But um, the day starts with us saying to the promoter, hey, it's our guitarist's birthday, can you make him a, you know, a special morning surprise? And they made him like like a Long Island iced tea, but without the mixer, it was just like a tall, like a like a highball glass. Oh. With um, just spirits, all mixed, you know, tequila, whiskey, gin, rum, and he neck and he next oh, that to man. wake up, and that sort of sets the tone for the day. Like we're all, and you know, Board of Osiris guys, those tours are rowdy. So, you know, by the by the end of show, 
and the party afterwards we're in like full party mode um the bus is awash with us just being absolutely nutted just you're all on the same bus yeah we're all sleeping on a 24 24 berth um (laughs) i believe it was one yeah it was a 24 berth because it was an avocado tour avocado tours use velta buses and so we were all on there so much fun but like so uncomfortable but just constant party we're near the end of the tour we're all downstairs now the order of events is a little bit spotty but we um the the weird the worst stories are always the ones where we're the most drunk um and yeah i seem to recall having trouble getting off the bus like the the door button wasn't working we didn't really know why we didn't really care it was one of those things like oh well we're stuck here i mean there's a club going on some of the after the burial guys are in there I know that Dan Carl from After the Burial is in the bus with us. And he goes upstairs to go get something. And he comes down straight afterwards, like pale face, like, guys, I'm either more drunk than I realized, or there's a random guy sitting on the top step of our bus, just sat there, tweaked out. Um, And we all just sort of go like, what? Are you fucking serious? Someone goes up and grabs him and pulls this random guy down who's sat there. Uh, This guy was sitting on the top step next to the sleeping tour manager's bunk. So the t- imagine the tour manager's, you know, Board of Services TM uh, is, is asleep when this guy's just sat next to him. What's happened is that we've left the door open while we're partying. This random guy has walked up and he's tried to steal everyone's stuff. Everything he could find <gasps> from bunks. And I'm talking wallets, passports, laptops. You know, he had my laptop in his, oh, like, jacket. He'd somehow... God. Like it was, but other random stuff like a like an e-cigarette charger, like you know, like he wasn't thinking. The guy was on drugs, um, like serious drugs. Um, and what he'd done is he tried to let himself off the bus, um, but he hadn't been able to work out how, because there's like a, a tiny recessed button down by the side, and if you don't know where it is, you can't do it. But what's much more obvious yeah. is a big red turning thing which disables the hydraulics so it's like an emergency thing if you need to get out you can turn it you can ram your way out yeah i know what you mean so he'd done that disengaging the hydraulics and the button stopped working so he just given up trying to leave and he just sat down probably freaking out like what do i do now i've locked myself in here with these people i was trying to steal from <laughs> so of course the whole tour party basically couldn't believe it starts taking the stuff out of his pockets and people start you know He's trapped in there with a bunch of drunk, angry metalers. So, of course, the guy got quite a few punches. Um, and we got all oh, of our man. stuff back off him. In fact, we got more than our own stuff. We tried to then give that back later to the to the club for, like, you know, lost property. But they didn't seem to want to take it. Like, if the wrong person took it, I think they were then accountable for, you know passing it to the wrong person i can't remember we were trying to get in touch with people we couldn't so we just had like a few things like a psp and a bit of extra cash that was in there i think there was a bit of weed in the psp that someone smoked and the guy was sort of sent off packing and the next day board of osiris took that money and bought us all bloody mary's for the last day of tour but in the rustle and bustle both of our guitarists brown and ollie had both messed up both of their hands so they could barely play the set and it was just oh my god we we used to go kind of hard back then um needless to say those days are quite far behind us we now you know if we have a party we have a we have a party but we don't let it get out of hand but 
while other things that were happening, apparently there, in the backstage of that venue, there was a piano and that got filled with grapes somehow and ruined the <laughs> piano. And I think that was more the reason why no, no avocado band was allowed to come back because the backstage had got trashed. But I hadn't seen it. It was just... And you keep because saying to yourself, like, no, antics. we're not like throwing TVs out of windows. And then you sort of realise, like, wait, yeah. In our own in way. In our own way, we kind of were doing that. And it was like, oh, no. So, yeah. Oh. Round two of this, you know, or my round two, at least, of coming back to the band and doing stuff from now on. I, I don't want to end up in that kind of position. I'm a different guy now. I'm a married man. Uh, I try to, like, keep keep on the straight and narrow. I don't like to get that, you know. Yeah. What's funny is I kind of, I feel like, especially with Tesseract, and I'm sure you're experiencing the same kind of thing, the bands that all came from that era, um, and I mean, we all know who they are. We, we, we've been going for 10, 15 years. Those, the bands that have been working in that time frame are entering a second phase of banddom and everything calms down, everything gets more professional, everything is... Uh, it's a lot more smooth. You know how to tour. Mm. And that kind of leads into the next question, um, which is, it's something that definitely affects me, and I'm pretty sure something affects you. Um, And it's, if you're willing or happy to talk about um, the importance of mental and physical health while on the road always it's because a huge thing. like the past year for me um i mean last year 2019 was the most brutal touring year of my life um i spent at least two-thirds of the year away from my wife um also because i was moving to the u.s but like excluding that i was 110 days on the road with Tesseract, 60 cities, 22 uh, countries, 23 states. And if you combine all of that together, we're on stage for maybe two or three days worth of time. And, you know, it's, well, not even that, more like two days worth of time. Um, But you're away for 110 days. And it was so exhausting. past the point of exhaustion on a couple of occasions um which takes its toll on your brain and on your body um and I, i've got my own ways for dealing with it that i i won't go into because it's i'm not interviewing myself but mm. um i'm just interested in your experiences well, um, well those who know me know that i left monuments in 2015 because i tore a tendon in my shoulder um and then since I left Monuments, I then started playing in like a band called Disperse. I then had to leave that because of problems with my hip, which I had to get surgery for. So the whole period of 2015 to 2019 is just like a write-off. I've, I got into different, I tried different career paths, couldn't make it work for whatever reason. So I spent the last few years in education that I'm now, uh, yeah, I've been teaching at a college in London, like School of Rock, but for adults, um, it's like a, a rock and pop band class and it's so awesome. But um, yeah, I had my last lesson with that yesterday. So I've, I'm coming back to it now. Um, and I, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that everything's going to be all right because, you know, physically I really destroyed myself. And there's a whole side to 
that the self-destruction that essentially equals self-harm. And I don't think that mm. enough people... I had no idea. No one had ever put tied two and two together for me. But what I was doing with Monuments was... Well, just with playing and Monuments was just a vessel was like in my frustration at not being able to, you know, being in pain while playing. I And out of what I hadn't realized at the time was like deep self-loathing. I would just go... I would just drink too much and I'd just beat the crap out of the kit. And there's one gig where I had to get carried off the drum kit at the end. It was um, it was in it was in London, Tottenham Court Road. Uh, it's closed down now. Um, borderline pre oh, pre renovation yeah. borderline. Um, and I played with no consequence. And I remember that's when I met Ronnie, um, who now does front of house for Animals and Pliny, and he's done some stuff with Brief. Um, you might have worked with him as well. I can't remember, but uh, we, we we've worked with yeah, one here, and that's what I first yeah. met him. And he, we've and he had loads. to carry me off the kit with Khan because at the end of it, I was so broken. And it's like that's rough. you know, and in my mind, I was like, yeah, that's a point of pride. But actually, it was much worse than that. And in the last few years, after having this surgery, and you know, going onto the operating table because of it was like a real slap in the face wake up like you're really hurting yourself here the years of not being able to stand for longer than 15 minutes at gigs having to sit down just because my my back hurts too much you know just not being able to enjoy life normally i had never had such a major kind of injury and i spent four years dealing with various ones but even going back to when i was 16 18 i would always like achieve the crazy thing uh, like whether it was I did like a necrophagist p cover on piano that's still up on YouTube when I was 16 a backstory that no one knows is the like that I couldn't perform in the um my music school's end of year final performances because my RSI was so bad that I couldn't even play in them so me and Connor because Connor was at Brit school as well and that's where I met met him through this particular theater i just spent my you know the brit school final major performance when i was 16 just pressing light switches with him because i couldn't play and it was like i kept i kept doing this to myself and i have been continuously doing this to myself for a long time but thankfully realizing that there's that self-loathing realizing that there's that that um that that self-harming element i've now gotten to the point where i can I'm now I've just had to see the physio today actually I've been doing some physical work and going to the gym and kind of getting really ready for tour I've sort of just overdone something in my shoulder and I walked through those doors again the same place I've been going for five years and I hadn't been for a long while and I went in there and I was really expecting to be like oh I'm screwed again and I didn't I was just like well, I'll find out what they say that I need to do. I'll take the advice that I need to do and I'll move on forward. And I wonder if that's what life's been like for everyone else when they hurt themselves. Like, okay, I'll just find out what needs to be done and I'll just make, make do with it, you know. And it hurts. And I've got rehearsals coming up and I've got gigs coming up really soon and I'm not worried. And it's so nice because mm. I just wish I'd realized that dealing with the emotional health and the mental health would have given me that freedom. But... Yeah, it's been a long, long time healing, but being away for that long, um, traveling that much, the lack of sleep that can happen through jet lagging, um, 
the lack of self-care that's evident because of alcoholism and drug abuse. People just want to party. Also, your workday doesn't finish until 1am and you deserve to chill out afterwards. And you spend every mm-hmm. bloody day servicing everyone else's parties. These were feelings I was having just before I left. I think actually, funnily enough, it was like on the carnival tour which was one of the last tours I did with Monuments, which we played, like, the Roundhouse in Camden. Like, that's supposed to be, like, hitting the goal. But I was just feeling like, oh, someone else's party. Someone else's... And I was just starting to really feel pissed off. I was actually starting to get mad when fans would come up to me asking to take pictures and they were having such a good time. And I was actually starting to get angry that they were having a good time because I was like... I was just having such a bad time at that time. I wouldn't have yeah. been having such a bad time if it wasn't for my health. But again, I leaving was a real mental health thing as much as it was a physical health. But all I knew was I'm exhausted. I can't do this anymore. Um, yeah. And now it's all so different. You grow up, you learn, you you strengthen, you know what your limits are, you know how not to do it. And now you go and do it yeah, properly. Definitely. And I think you cannot be in a band and have had that happen i think i think everyone goes through that you know you i think it's called your yeah. 20s i mean i'm not out of them yet i'm 28 going on i'm 28 nah. going on 50 in my mind like at this point i've got hyper you've got the wisdom of a 50 year old hyper mobility i've torn this shoulder this and this hip i've got a hiatus hernia in my stomach i so i you know get acid reflux all the time really sensitive to what i eat asthmatic not allergy. Um, Darwinism probably means I should be dead by now. But thank God, twenty twenty. <laughs> you know, YOLO. Yeah, we're living YOLO. in the future. Yeah. So, but yeah, I should have been eliminated from the gene pool. Thank God I'm not, because you know I really like living. Mm. But yeah, no, Absolutely. I I now have to learn when to say no. And tours yeah. have come up in between my monuments tours. Offers have come up, and I've felt better about saying no to them than I've done in a long time and I, I don't like saying no to opportunity but when you're young and you're thirsty and you're really extremely into it um i think that i think i don't think i needed to run away from home as much but when i was on tour i was independent and when i was at home i was with my parents that kind of played into it you know i just want to go i just want to do things now i still live with my parents my wife lives here with me and my parents and i don't want to spend i'm a, you know getting married I, I don't want to spend I've got like a limit if I spend more than half of my life away from her then I've got to reassess what I'm doing because it's not worth it it's different when you're just working like a long work day um or you still come home yeah you still come home it's when you're away away you know yeah um so yeah like the being in a band with someone, if you're going to go for it, it's 99% how that person looks after themselves at home. That's what I've learned. It's not about how they play. It, it, uh, all the, These are bonuses. Are they good music? It, you know, obviously, okay, you have to be a good enough musician to play a consistently good show. But how good they are, how good they are at writing, it's all secondary to if you're going to get in a vehicle with them and spend all of your time in stressful conditions with them smelling their balls, are they going to have really stinky balls or are they going to have a show? No, I don't care. Personal hygiene is a different thing, but you know what I mean. It's about... No, dude, I know. We've, when we've been on see... tour with people who, uh, are, who smell and they sleep a foot away from your head. I mean, you sometimes like, don't get a you, you. Sometimes don't get a choice. Like sometimes there's only one shower and it doesn't have enough hot water for twenty four people or more. But yeah. 
you know, it's more like, how do these people, when they go home, what's there? Have they actually, do they come home, have they set up themselves to come back to something? Or are they just constantly trying to get away? Um, For a lot of people, I'm not, like, shitting on the people who just really because i've got friends who they just live on the road and they don't have a home base because they're just nomadic and that works for them Mm. i'm more thinking about the kinds of people who are so desperate to get out and be loved and be seen and have their egos that need continual stroking that um you know and, and without and i really i could be i might be sounding like an absolute dick in saying it but i i really i mean it with a lot of like understanding as to why because i've had the ego that needed stroking i'd probably probably all have to an extent otherwise we wouldn't have ended up doing this in the first place um you know it's a love but i think now i'm truly like yeah i think i think i'm in a place now where i'll really enjoy it that was a much more spidered answer but it's such an important topic and if i could pass on and help at least one person with every time i talk about this kind of thing i've like i'm then i'm doing all i need to be doing because if i could just help someone else avoid some of the pitfalls that i've fallen into then you know it'll be fine but you'd spend so much time thinking about what you wish would happen or what the way you wish things would be not necessarily how they are so realism and friends they help bring you back down to earth and reassess and go are you sure about this you know they're golden stay close to them you know 100 percent. i mean spending time like with the present rather than worrying about the future i.e being anxious or mm. worrying about what has happened i.e being depressed like that's important to me so whatever's happening in the moment whether it's painful i know that pain's going to pass if i'm on tour and i'm exhausted i try and remind myself that this ain't going to last you know i'm exhausted right now but it's going to be gone um as long as you've got the day off coming up that actually means you could recharge because if you don't have that if you've just got 70 days like that has happened like you're like well is this gonna stop and you'd be forgiven for thinking that it would never end because you might not get to relax well the 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 main i'll touch on something very quickly before i ask you another question but the um (laughs) the thing i struggled with on the the summer uh, Tesseract's last summer, which was a bunch of European uh, festival shows. I, uh, other than being away from my wife for ages and my dogs and trying to move countries and sell a house and all the kind of things that cause normal people stress, um, I was also in pain through that tour. Um, my index finger and middle finger on my right hand, I've never had any real problems. Uh, with any part of my body when drumming you know I'm, I'm very lucky in that regard I've blistered my fingers but that's a drummer's you know that's going to happen um, but I was yeah. getting some severe really strange pain between my knuckle and uh, the first kind of knuckle halfway down your finger and mm. reached out to a few people uh, on and off the tour asking what could this be and the undiagnosed diagnosis was it's probably tendonitis or something of that ilk it's definitely a tendon based mm. thing so the options are you know you try and see an on the road doctor whose opinion is you've got to rest um uh, there's nothing you it's a good opinion yeah you know, the, <laughs> it's a really strong there's opinion. nothing that you can do when you're on the road doing this and i'm like well do i need to stay, uh, change my sticks but i'm very used to the weight of my sticks and i haven't got any time to rehearse on the kit on a stage or anything with another you know lighter sticks and i know that's going to feel weird so that wasn't really an option for me 
Um, so I guess you could do like a grip from the back of your like like a kind of I found myself doing that a few times just trying to grip from the fourth and yeah. fifth and just sort of hitting with an open hand when I've had like I think I had like I smashed my uh, nail so badly into I, I like rim shot sandwiched my nail twice on one tour um and uh yeah I had to play and I just couldn't it couldn't sustain any like hits mm. so I just was playing smacking it and then my wrist would start hurting yeah. so like there are stop gaps but yeah, anyway, continue. Yeah, well, I I didn't have a solution. It was play through the pain. There wasn't anything that I, I could look up. There wasn't anyone that I could see that would tell me anything other than rest. So my option was be miserable about it and and stay mm. with it and get through it and deal with it afterwards, which is, which is a terrible situation to be in for your mental health because all it's very difficult to separate yourself from the pain and knowing that in... Uh, in a couple of hours time during the show and after the show it's going to hurt um, when I got to Austin uh, which is where I live now I went to a gym there's a, a gym up the road um, called On It which is it's like a big gym they're, they're very much into mind and body stuff and they uh, they sell nootropics and that kind of thing and I saw a, a guy just as a kind, a kind of a gym induction. You know, this was a uh, me going down to check the place out. Um, one of the guys that works there was a Tesseract fan and invited me down. And um, I saw one of their physio guys who showed me an exercise and in about 30 to 60 seconds relieved the tension in, this, in these fingers. And it's just knowing what to do. You know, I'd had a sports massage before that on tour. I'd bought wrist compre- hand compression gloves and all that. And he showed me this exercise mm. where you put your hand flat on a table about waist height, st- straighten your arm up, and then rotate mm. with, with your fingers spread as wide as you can. Um, mm. You rotate your arm around the elbow and then the other way and you feel it pulling all all up your fingers all up and around your arms all around into your shoulder if you're doing it right and then flip your arm around so that your hands facing backwards and do the same and 30 to 60 seconds of doing that pushing comfortably as far as you can either way and after doing that exercise in there I came home and did it again like for a couple of minutes just to do it properly and there were a couple of things I could not do to this hand before having done this exercise. One thing was put any pressure against my knuckles as though if you were going to crack your knuckles, you know, yeah, you just couldn't do I, I that. couldn't put any pressure that way. That sucked. And I couldn't put any pressure that way, like down Ooh, as, it, as yeah, if you're yeah, holding yeah. a mug, like a mug of tea or something, especially on that mm-hmm. finger. I couldn't push down oh, the weight of it, the weight. Wow, I couldn't yeah. lift a teacup and mm. I now that's where it hits home you can't drink tea without pain Englishmen can't drink tea it's horrible so yeah no no pinky out no nothing it it was it was crazy so and a couple of times on tour I'd catch it and it would be like (gasps) like yeah almost falling down you know like 10 out of 10 yeah like immediate like like having to stop pain so did this exercise and you feel, felt while I was doing it, something kind of releases, like something just, mm-hmm. and I was like, that's interesting. And now if I do that before I go on stage and after I've been on stage, I have a 0.2 out of 10 pain compared to a good eight, you know, mm. constant. So 
there, there's definitely things out there that you can do to manage because as you get older you're going to have things that you're going to have to manage yeah. that's kind of a given but yeah. are there any but resources this which was kind of the question are there any any resources that you go to whether it's books techniques podcasts people hospitals whatever it's it's private physio um and it's not some people are lucky i'm talking specifically about the nhs like some people are lucky and the physio that they can get through the nhs works but the thing that i was discovering as i needed it the most was that the budget was getting cut the most so all i was getting was a week uh, was was a leaflet saying do these for eight weeks and then come back to us mm. and i'm like great so what my life's on hold while i do that so i try and do it and it obviously wouldn't work so i found this wonderful physiotherapy place up in croydon called my physio and a man called shirag there helped me so 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 much um because he would see a problem and he would and and he was progressive in his mindset he was passionate about what he did he always is he still is he's um you know and him and all the practitioners in his place you know like he's continuously going to seminars, constantly learning, trying to find the next best way to deal with this, to deal with that. Um, and he would just sort of go, does this work? Okay, what does that work? And he, you could tell he was just sussing it out really quickly. Um, and I had this the same today with, with a woman called Anna there. Um, I hadn't seen her before, but I know she works there. She works with shit rags. She's going to know her shit. Of course she did. So my whole shoulder was hurting so much that just my shoulder existing was just super painful. And now it's fine. Yeah. Like she, re I mean, I've got bruises now on my uh, my pectoral and and in the back. Like I bruise really easily, but you know, she went really hard. A few tears were shed, but like <laughs> it releases it in the right way. So like the important thing to note is that your hand exercise that you've just given, like if anyone else has got that pain in their fingers, it might work for them. But you need to get targeted. Yeah, you need to, you need a targeted approach. There is no, um, there's no too right wrong way about it. You can look at all the resources in the world, but unless you're going to study and commit to being a physiotherapist, you're even me. I've learned enough about my anatomy and how drums work, and but it's not enough. I can't advise. I, I could never dream to truly advise anyone on the road who had problems. I mean, I could talk about the mental side of it and the mentality of getting through problems, but the thing you've got to do is see. And in my mind, it's just to see a really decent sports injury physiotherapist. Um, who is open to learning how do drums work, not mm. trying to apply cricket or tennis mentalities. I mean, tennis has some similarities, but, you know, one of the things that my physio eventually, I mean, he even came round here, watched me play, and he said, ah, you're using 70 to 30% of your range of motion really intensely. And it's not something I thought about. Obviously, you don't do this when you're drumming. Yeah. You do this. Yeah. You're 70 to 30%, or 40 to 60 even you know, in terms of how we do. So every time I exercise anything in the gym or anywhere, I don't, I won't, I won't curl about, I don't do this, but I wouldn't do this. I would start here and just do that. And I would just, and it would be about controlling. I just learned so much through doing those exercises with him. Um, they worked for me and with my particular hypermobility and my particular issues. Um, and it costs a fortune. Again, my parents helped me out with that. Um, because the NHS, I mean, even with my surgery, I don't want to moan too much about it because I did get great surgery in the end. But initially, the MRIs that they put me under didn't show any tears in my hip. And they said, yeah, you'll be fine. Do some exercising. You'll be fine. Uh, uh, and then I, another consultant uh, told me, you need to go get a private MRI with a three Tesla MRI, not a 1.5 Tesla 
am I right? Because the NHS couldn't afford to get the three Tesla ones and they they need more mag I guess Tesla relates to magnetic strength or something. Mm. So I and I actually went to, because I was at a Polish band, I, I flew to Poland, had a trip, spent less on it on and the, yeah. and had a couple of nights and a nice meal. Oh, I was there like a night or two and it the whole thing cost me less than getting it done here. Um and then I came back and they were like, Yeah, you need surgery. I was like so you can get told one thing by the doctors here, and and I don't want to, I don't, and I don't want to say the NHS is, is screwed because it's obviously wonderful, and if you're dying, you're going to be saved. But the aftercare, there's no the, the money's not there for it, and you best hope that you can take care of that. We might as well be in an American system as far as that's concerned, unless you're actually dying. You will get saved. Your your broken bone will get set. Uh, you know you will get cancer treatment. It's amazing, but. There is more. There is another level of the lower end of the triage spectrum where you do need help, but it's long term. It's not immediately life-threatening, bleeding out help. It's you're, yeah. in, you're in pain. It's affecting you in more ways than maybe visible, and uh, you can't get it because you're not at the top of the tree, about to jump off, kind of thing. Yeah, or or, or having fallen off the tree and bleeding out, as you say. But you know, it's it's it makes it feel very insidious because you're stuck in a position where you've gotten some help but not quite enough and you feel bad for resenting it but you know i i just really hope that you know there's the funding on that end gets sorted out because it could be the most incredible thing in the world and it it mm. still is but damn it sucks when that kind of stuff happens but yeah. um yeah ultimately i got my surgery through them and they did really well and i'm you know i'm all back but but no, I wouldn't. Re I wouldn't rely on seeing your doctor because they'll tell you that your wrist pain is in your wrist. They won't tell you that it's in your shoulder because they just won't truly understand it. You know, even when they prescribe stuff for your stomach, like antibiotics, they won't prescribe probiotics. They won't understand it enough. And you don't know that. You don't need to know. You have to go see, get a second opinion. You can't possibly you now... be an expert on that as no, well. No, as... you are now a hypochondriac. You know, it's like all these questions. You know, um, knowing that you have that support. Um, the, the the best resource you can have is just knowing that find someone who's been through a similar thing. I had an incredible experience. Um, I talked to David Garibaldi. Um, he gave me he gave me some time because I researched femoroacetabular impingement, which was the problem I had with my with my hip, and I typed that and drums in, and then I found out that um, he'd had that and he'd had oh, two. Wow. I can't remember if he had um, arthroscopy like I had on both sides, um, but or he'd had full replacements. But yeah, I just sent him a Facebook message just asking him any advice, and he said, and he said, give me your phone number and we'll talk. And we chatted, and he he just said, go for it. You know, you will actually feel better in six months. Like your recovery will astound you. Go for it. You'll be fine. You know, spent about forty minutes on the phone to me, and I'm so grateful to him because he's a bloody superstar the guy you know he's been out doing all this stuff with kiss doing this painting stuff on that whole tour you know and all the stuff that he did as a as a drummer in the past it's just a well i don't know maybe it's not the same david garibaldi i might have gotten confused there but hmm. no Either actually way. yeah i don't know to be fair um he just uh he just really helped me um and i would do the same i would tell the same to anyone and I would try and help anyone who saw me in the same light. Mm. Um, maybe this person could help. If someone has been through that. And while I tour, I now when I teach, I try to teach you know that kind of thing more. 
you know, I'll try to talk to drummers because every drummer who's tried to do something difficult has suffered it to some degree. And to just try and share that mentality of like, you, you can get through this, you know, yeah. and also be aware of the, the mental side of pushing so hard, achieve something really hard without hurting yourself to do it is sort of the core of my seminars and my clinics that I do. Rumour has it you are a somewhat experienced teacher and I'm just interested where, in what is going on in that part of your world at the moment. Are you developing any communities? Are you working on anything interesting? Yeah, well, um, that kind of teaching thing. for a few years in my injury uh, recovery time, I wasn't sure if that was going to be a long-term thing or not. And as it turns out, it's I'm now back into playing as the most part. But I've always really loved teaching. I've really loved helping people to achieve what they do because I love to get into the nitty gritty. I think I'm in my prime where I'm helping people to work out the tricky stuff, you know, where people are plateauing and they're like, how do I get past this? Give them a different aspect and then just see that like, oh, that, you know, like, I wish I thought of it that way. You know, that sort of eureka moment, it really, yeah. it really drives me. So some of the plans that I have is to help set up some communities to like set up um, you know, online lesson portals and um, ways that I can, you know, kind of batch produce um, educational stuff that people can just tap into as and when they want, because that's the most efficient way of them being able to access a little bit of that. But I, I really love one-to-one -one and group sessions. I love doing clinics. I have um, a clinic that I'm uh, about to announce very soon um at a really cool place details about that i'll be posting my socials and whatnot but um i'm i'm full of ideas and uh not so full of things that are currently set up but there's definitely going to be big moves towards education but it's been a huge career change recently i mean as some people may or may not know you know i've taken over the management of your wonderful rehearsal place at the room studios you which have? has been amazing because when i had my last day yesterday I walked out of that place feeling more confident in that I've got something to come back to after tours, something that I can look after and work with while I'm touring. And it's so important sometimes to just have that, you know, depending on your, your setup. But obviously you can't play all the time. And we were talking about resting. How can you rest if you haven't got something that's there? It's been a big problem. You know, the whole idea of going full time as a drummer you know, I consider myself a full-time professional musician, but I don't play drums full-time. You know, even when I do sessions, I'm spending more time tabbing than I am uh, actually playing so that I can play less more effectively. And also just because, like, something that Matt Halpin, Matt Halpin taught me back on that LXD tour is that it's so much more fun and exciting for you and the listener when you're playing it for the first time in, in the moment. But you know it well enough. I mean, he... He gave me that wonderful mentality of like, he walked into the periphery to recording sessions only being like being really perfect at playing the drums, the parts for the drums on his steering wheel, but he hadn't put them onto the kit. Phonetically, that was all in his head. So when it happens, he's like, oh, and then you record that magic, that moment. And it's really, and I try to keep shows like that, you know, as well. Um, but yeah, tan tangenting around the place, you know, it's it's great to have an ability to work on a side business that can help other musicians as well. And that can totally work with educational things as well. You know, I've got ideas of engaging the local musical community tied into the ideas of stuff that I've done with Morley, like just finding amateur musicians 
And when I say the word amateur, I mean that in the most beautiful of ways of like doing it for the love, you know, not necessarily having professional ideation is a really good thing because um, it means that it, it's your hobby. It's what you love doing and it's what keeps you sane and it keeps you. It's not financially driven. It's not financially driven. It's there to for you to enjoy it when your work day is done in the evenings or whatever. But a lot of the time you end up playing people make bands with people who don't aren't necessarily feeling it the same way they might have trouble meeting like-minded people and i really love to work with them take all of the that high-end aspiration out of it and just focus on musicians who just want to play some gigs with some friends meet new people and play some music and have a great time you know i've, I've got a lot of love for that as well so options everywhere really i think that's the the theme and with a big career shift um, it's understandable that I haven't got like you know all the ducks lined up in terms of the educational um, ideas, but yeah, I really want to build a community and and uh, like you know share people's riffs and and you know they share their grooves and share their um their ideas with the community you know and work on them together show or just highlight a bit of tesseract and even though you'll be doing that in the best way you can, but pick a bit of any band and just go. Like, let's just, you know, look at that really closely for a minute and let's deconstruct that. Because everyone could deconstruct something like that in a different way. And, um, yeah, big old study group would be awesome. So, who knows? Nice. Who knows? Well, when I'm in the UK, if we've got some kind of uh, something going on down at the studios, um, we'll have to schedule, you know, me to stay over for another couple of days after a tour and do some kind of jam clinic type thing down there. Yeah, um, dude. we could plan I'd something out that. properly. Like we could actually like we'll pick a theme and then we can both bring some pre-prepared materials based off of our bands. We'll try and find like a rhythmic concept or a musical concept of which our bands, both Tesseract and Monuments both use and compare the two side by side and polyrhythms easy there but, you go but, no, but it's awesome because ackle and brown come from the same musical mindset i can hear it in tesseract's music the construction methodology is very similar in terms of internal polyrhythmic repetition structure in terms of um metric modulation although ackle's a bit more brazen with like and now it's triplets and like, now it's triplets yeah, yeah literally <laughs> we'll be right back um, <laughs> but you know what i mean like that when you're first listening to it, you can't necessarily deconstruct that. The amount of times I've done that in lessons and they're like, oh, that's how it's built. You know, I love seeing that moment where it like it clicks. And when you adjust your teaching style to the students learning style without ever making them feel like, you know, because so many teachers, they can't they don't necessarily understand how to bend themselves. Not every teacher can work for every student, but. For a lot of the time, you know, a student may learn better kinesthetically. They may need more imagery. They might need it said in a certain way or just said a bit slower. And they might not know or feel confident enough to ask for that, especially if they're a fan of you and your work. They're going to be yeah. like, you know, uh, am I doing well enough, sir? You know, like it's going to happen because they, they respect you so much. And I think a lot of work needs to be done to show students that like, as teachers, I mean, for you and yourself, you know, we want them to improve in that moment, in that time when we're spending it with them. It's about them. Like, yeah. we're just we're just people who've done who've done it a good few times and can help them to find a way for them to do it. I understand it will never 
I mean, I think we were talking about this on the phone the other day as well while I was laying carpet tiles down at the place. We were having a good old natter about that. And um, yeah, I, I, I love the psychology of, of learning. Some amazing, uh, I'm just going to throw these out there because they're amazing, but some uh, some resources that musicians should check out in general are the music lesson by Victor Wooten, preferably the audiobook because it's sick and it should be mandatory listening and learning before ever looking at graded books or walking into music education because it's like shock horror there is no such thing as a beginner when you learn English you don't learn it like you learn grade one music you learn it jamming with professionals you know like you know they're like you're like ma and they're like ma mum mum yeah sure no there's no such thing as a mistake it's all cheering on it's all positive you know yeah you said a word awesome so the idea of put on some Stevie Wonder and jam with Stevie Wonder, just play with them, get it wrong, but be encouraged in the way that you do that. We can take, we can balance the playing field in that way. And there's no such thing as um, a wrong answer. But like there's that. also a cycle. I've talked a lot in this about the uh, the subconscious versus the conscious. A lot of that is built from the inner game of tennis. Um, yeah. A great book, a great audio book. Um, the idea of like, teaching through imagery um there's also something else that people may not know exists called alexander technique it's helped me a lot and i'm going to be getting back into that really soon because it's about unlearning bad habits posturally and in your motion and movement and it's about very much the idea of trusting the subconscious in a similar way to the inner game of tennis of you lock the conscious mind out of the room and say no squares allowed you know when you're doing it you you, you order a meal and you allow your body to bring it to you as opposed to saying i need to adjust my weight 30 percent to the left and and do this and anyone who plays drums or any instrument or does any technical skill knows that there are times when you get nervous that you will stop being able to do the thing that you know that you can oh do. yeah and it's like and that's purely just because 100%. your conscious mind has stopped trusting your subconscious and if you imagine yeah. it it's like you've got um you know conscious mind subconscious mind and it's like do this right do this right come on you do it like that and he, mute no voice and he's just like there, that, just like uh, uh, would you just let me do it but it can yeah. only that only receives it, it can't even hear them they're not even speaking or hearing the same language like but you can hear it in your mind when you could because you're the one saying for fuck's sake do this and it's like and if you could only just give it the visual give it the picture it will work it out. Maybe not everyone's brains work the same, but those books really open my mind a lot as to how to get better results out mm. of, you know, extreme, more extreme learning circumstances, especially. Yeah. My right leg does that exact thing at the end of Conceding Fate Part 1. And uh, I listened to um, a podcast with Dave Ellich about this. Oh, he's great. He's so good. Where he's talking about that kind of thing where, you know, he, he was on tour, I think it was Justin Timberlake, he was drumming for Justin Timberlake for a year straight or 18 months straight on tour or something crazy. And he said, the dumb thing that happens on stage when you're playing the same thing over and over again, you're just keeping the beat neat, is that you forget how to do it and your brain wants to do something. So you end up hearing the beat in a different place because it's so normal to you that your brain wants to do something more exciting. And with 
uh, Concealing Fate, this specifically the end of part one for me. Man, I can't, I'll I can't go, I'll go to, it in my head. Um, uh, it's the bell, bell, all that stuff. I, I go to try and play it, and um, I, oh no, sorry, not that bit. It's the bit immediately before that. Um, the uh, uh, it's, it's kind of straight kicks, like doing threes, and my legs going. Just doing that, and then my right leg just doesn't do it sometimes. I try to do it, and I end up going like making it a heel toe and then a single. And it's but is that happening because you're subconsciously. Because you can you can tell your subconscious about images, but you can also listen to your subconscious through receiving imagery and just you know like like anal- like analyzing dreams. I know that's really like vague, but it's really similar in that like sometimes you'll be getting a message like "Yo, I'm hurting here," and you might be changing your technique because you've been overusing a certain muscle group, and it's like I need oxygen, I need to clear. I need to clear the the acid from my system. Please use something else. And then all you're con- consciously thinking about is, ah, oh, I'm playing it differently. But there's a whole other side of automatic mm. m- measurement and management that can only be heard if you're really listening, in a way. So you might have something going on where you've just been overdoing. It. But yeah, da 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 with one leg. I mean, are you pedal hatting through the whole thing? Yeah, of course you are, because you pedal hat through everything, you fucking monster. I pedal hat through <laughs> a monster in the best of ways. It's incredible, but um, yeah. Sometimes you know, if that starts happening, just try just let the pedal hat disappear for a minute, and maybe just go. I do. Right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left. Because if you could train yeah. that left foot leading thing, da 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 da, your like ambidextrosity and ability to swap leading legs. I mean, you probably know all of that. I mean, there are players like. Dan Lord, who they'll only play like one e and uh always on the right foot, and one e and uh always on the left foot, no matter what. So it would be like da 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 da. And to me, that just looks like a left foot doing that all the time, and a right foot. So I would treat it like right, left, 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 right, left. And then at least they would switch over a little bit. You start fucking looking like an absolute. Oh man! Ooh, I'm I don't use my left leg that much though. But yeah, the, you're so the... used to. Hey, here's the metronome. It's it's all right. Uh, my left leg is used exclusively for like, concealing fate part two. And it's used for some of the off matter stuff uh, from altered state. Like that kind of stuff. But I don't use it for a lot of the things that people would use double kick Hmm. for to make things easier because i'm keeping that pedal hat going a lot of the time so i'll just go like and i'll do it all with one foot i think we should do a session where i try and do everything one footed with pedal hat and you try and do this sort of yes maximization of of the legs but i'm only doing that because i've needed to because my legs get tired and i need to keep my course my, my core strength tired. it's all about core strength man train that core it is get that get that damn tama stool with the backrest because it's the best one like like no word of a lie like it just is the best stool that's ever existed i also i sit on the very edge of my stool as well like 
I'm not fully on my stool. I'm always perched on the edge of it. Probably because you need more room inside your hip sockets. And that's the only way that you can get it. Because most stools are, A, they're too soft. So you push into them. And even if your sit bones are completely down on it, it's an Alexander Technique thing. But yeah, you're meant to like have your sit bones pointing like directly down. And um, mm. and even if you do that, the seat could be so soft that it's kind of squishing in and it's and it's um, adding resistance to your legs as you push them down. But also, um, just uh, if you slump, if you lose pressure um, and lose stability in your core, which you're gonna do at some point in an 80 minute set, the best thing about that stool is that it's the only one I found that can take my weight through the lumbar, the lumbar spine, the lower end of the spine. I can actually lean into it and take some of the weight off of that and utilize those muscles for my actual legs. And my core can do some of the work, which keeps the, okay. the glutes, the adductors, the abductors all working the way they should do and avoids the problems that I had where I couldn't walk because my spine had collapsed, uh, like because the muscle had just the muscles of my spine had been overused because I had such a weak core. That's like the extreme end of what happened to me. And I was just limping off. Anyone who saw me at TechFest 2016 or 17, I think it was 17, saw me. I had to play on a keyboard because I couldn't play drums. I was just on that day completely like, yeah, that was the end of it. I just played with uh, Animals as Leaders, not playing for Animals as Leaders, but I supported them as a session drummer for I was playing for David Maximicic and Nick Johnston double dutying and then I got to TechFest, slept on a slept slept in a tent on the grass and <laughs> gone. Oh man. So but yeah, that that's that's one of my key secrets and it's on my rider. Like it's like and I'm not being I'm not I don't want to be a dick. And it's like if I turn up and that still's not there, I'm in trouble. Because like I've grown to rely on that ability to take the weight off a little bit, even though I'm doing constant mm. core training and it's getting better and better. You know, I've got years of learning to do it the wrong way to undo um yeah. so yeah back to another back to alexander technique like i really wish i could make the time to make that a thing again because damn it's cool mm. just take an alexander technique teacher on the road would be the best way to do it and just do a bit of it every day you could you could nail it all in a month if you could do that but it's a very specific kind of job nice well well, well after this we'll try and get some links together for some of the things that we've mentioned to uh, put in the yeah, notes for yeah. this podcast. Cause if we can link people to these things, that'd be really Ooh, neat. Yeah. Um, last question before I go into the thing that I enjoy the most. Um, so it's monuments based. Okay. Um, it, you're obviously being kept pretty damn busy this year with monuments. Mm. Uh, new single dropping on the 24th yeah that's a thing uh, we've just started teasing it today I think you, I saw you wrote me so the teasing is working um, teasing yeah, is working yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's a video there's a single um, and it's awesome because it's Andy's official welcome into the band and I got in just at time to re-record the drums and Oops drums on it was sick uh, this song was from Phrenesis but it it never it didn't make the cut it either, it either didn't get finished or it just wasn't one of the main ones it's one of the it's the only time a monument song hasn't made it onto the record and i think it's good to have songs that don't quite make it because then they're either later singles or it just means you can focus on the quality of the record and have a few you know b numbers yeah. um at least i'd never seen them because brown would be writing them all the time but yeah this was a phonesis number but with andy's input and having my input back it's got it's it's a whole new kind of sound um and it's uh it, it's amazing that i've uh i've actually you know 
listened to what it sounded like before and what it sounds like now and it's like oh can't wait to see what happens next sort of thing but like you know it's still got and it was known as atlas part two it's like it not because it is an intentional continuation of the song atlas from the second album the amanuensis it's just sounds kind of like it and uses a couple of similar writing methodologies but it's also more of a phrenesis written song so it's but yeah this Mm. is essentially like atlas part two nice um you're going on tour in a couple of weeks and it looks like you're going to a lot of places yeah. india my first gig uh, back with monuments is of course in mumbai um amazing yeah. but my first gig back after surgery was a pop gig supporting bastille in dubai so it's like following a trend here yeah that was an amazing one for a couple hell. of artists one of them called hadi who's in this metal band out in dubai called benevolent um they're awesome but he's focusing more on his solo solo pop stuff which is sick and a pop artist called Sean Warner, who makes awesome stuff. He does a bunch of remixes. It's you know, it was just fun playing on a beach in Dubai, having a good time. No Not double shit. pedal, just having having a damn good time. <laughs> it was it was fucking great. I love those guys. Um, but yeah, so Mumbai happens, then Bangalore, um, the IIT Bangalore. It's a huge stage, isn't it? Oh like, yeah, it's a big one. That one you've done that before. We've. Uh, we did IIT Karagpur, so... The... Oh, yeah, we did that one. as That's the one we did back in 2012. Yeah. That's huge. Apparently, the Bangalore one. I thought I saw a video of you playing at IIT Bangalore. Uh, what did we do last year? We might have done that, actually, last year. Um, my yeah. memory's terrible. We went to India yeah, twice no, last was, year. We did videos. three shows, and I can't remember yeah. exactly what we did, but, yeah. <laughs> It looks very similar to, to Karagpur. If it is the same as Karagpur, it's a 12,000 capacity cricket stadium. Yeah, that sounds about um, right. It was big. Yeah, I mean, you remember Karagpur. The, 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 you know, the thing I always found crazy was the separation of men and women yeah. on either side. Um, yeah, they can't they can't watch a concert together. You know, the venue's split it's, in half. Well, there was like five, 6,000 dudes on one side and, and about like 20, 30 women on the other side. <laughs> Like we had like five thousand on the left and three thousand female. On oh the right. wow! We had quite a good balance, but it was that spring fest. You know, it was the massive um, celebration. You know, kind of part of the the January Indian summer party competition between colleges. So fun to be a part. Nice. Of. And you know, we're in January, so it's it's part of that. You know, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. But then, so we've got those two shows. We've got quite a lot of days off. Thank God, we got we got like a week with two shows in it. Like. We fly on the 27th, we play on the 29th, so we, we land on the 28th, play on the 29th, we've got an internal flight somewhere between the 29th of Jan and the 3rd of February, which is our next one, then we fly out on the 4th of February. So that's your UK and, and Europe then, tour that you're going into there. And then, and then we're going into Cologne and doing Europe, Scandinavia. Um, we're missing Poland, I can't believe we're missing Poland, I really wanted to make that mm. happen. Um, but yeah, uh, it, would, it goes to Berlin close enough for my wife to fly over see her family and bring some friends over from there so we do 22 shows across three weeks i think we have like a day off every week which is really good it's something that me and andy are really like strong about like let's look after ourselves while we do this you know like no no other way is allowed with us and i think we're going to do really well for that um and you know having a bus being able to lay down very much a necessity at this point um not a luxury like just because it's not just the fact that you're sat in a van between shows if you're vanning it it's the fact that you sleep for a very limited amount of time and you're sleeping and traveling time are separate yeah. and this, then you this, and then you have your hard. six to eight hours of gig life 
your six to eight hours of sleep and maybe your six to eight hours of driving or whatever the balance it is not assuming that days are now 18 nowadays but you know what I mean like it feels like you're constantly racing for time like can I get enough sleep in before we drive yeah. people are always pissed off that they've been woken up for it as opposed to waking up at eight nine in the morning rested in the new place ready to go it's a big thing and then we've got two UK shows the third of February is Manchester the fourth is London we have an after party where your very own Monteith is DJing for us, the absolute legend. That's hilarious. Um, You're just going to have the Top yeah, that, song on repeat for three hours or something. So. I hope so. I just want to just watch Ollie take the mic a bunch of times and just be outrageous. <laughs> I think it's going to be hilarious because it will be at the end. It's, and it's what I've always wanted to do, which is do the hometown at the end of the tour. Yeah. The tightest. And it's like a massive blowout. Because every time you do a hometown or a special show, and then you've got a normal show the day after. Nothing against any particular city, but hometown shows are more wild. Yeah. And they're London more special especially. to you. And then, yeah. So, like, yeah, London, and we finish with an after party, and then we go home after India, and that is amazing. And then there's this rescheduled American tour, because these big bloody visa problems meant that their last American tour got cancelled, um, which also led to the departure of their previous drama. Um so we're going to do that and smash and that's mid-April until uh, mid-May. And I'm definitely going to come out and see you in Austin on the 6th yes. of May. You're in Austin and I'm going to come out I'm and put- force feed you some tacos. I'm putting you on my, I'm, pre, I'm pre-working out all my guest lists in advance and I'm going to go ahead and literally put you in on that right Absolutely. Now. Me and Bailey will yeah, be out dude. to that one and uh, we'll uh, show you the sights, sounds and smells of Austin. Yes, I do. Like, Austin is really cool. I do remember it from my one tour I did over there with Glass Cloud, Sky Harbor, Error, and Reflections and Monuments on that tour. It was so, so sick. Um, you're in. You're in the diary, officially. Um, yeah, dude, it's going to be sick. Um, there is one Portuguese festival worked out, but there's nothing else really there. So, um, And I think I'm going to be doing a session as well in March. I uh, haven't announced that one just yet, but one of the reasons I hadn't announced it was because between my tours, at some point I have to put in for a visa, you lose your passport, so you can't travel. And this tour, this show, falls right between Get yourself in, that, in that period. I just got it yesterday. Yeah. I just got my second passport. So... And that was not an easy thing to get, but thanks to some friends and some good advice, I managed to, and and Century Media for writing up that, um, you know, the letter of intent mm. uh, to 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 allow me to get, you know, f- to be able to put in for one. It's going to happen for something. That's what we had to do it a couple of years you know? ago because we had, uh, I think we were away and we had a European tour, so we knew that we were going to have to get these visas back to back, and but mm. we were going to be in a place with our passports, so we all had to get second vi- uh, second passports. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I've had some crazy times where, like, Dead Letter Circus were touring with us in Australia. <laughs> this is, t- I'm going back to your craziest tour stories. It fits into there. I'll do it really quickly, though, because um, it's such a cool story. Um, there was a time the Dead Letter Circus played Euroblast, and everyone thought that they were always the secret band. No, it was a very last minute decision. They were in Europe uh, and UK. They were doing UK with us, and then they were going to do Europe, and then they were going to go off and do America while we did. Um, Euroblast but their visas were being delayed while they were in England and they were told do not board do not go with monuments to Europe but we've built these shows monuments and dead letter circus 
you know, so we're obviously, but you know, their safety and security came first. But in my mind, I'm like, well, we've got a bus with these guys. How are we going to manage to do shows without them? Mm. And they didn't want to stay home either. So they basically pulled the. F- I don't know if it was so much as they pulled the finger on their management, but they basically just overruled the management, told them not to go to Europe. And we essentially just smuggled them into Europe. <laughs> like, but we didn't do it intentionally. We didn't do it with smuggling in mind. We had all of their passport details, documentation, um, all the scans and everything ready to hand to the border control officer. And we were like, okay, we're probably going to get turned away with this, but we'll give it a try. Expecting to go in and have this huge meeting, you know, tour manager have to like explain it, maybe talk them in. You know, into the country because it's much easier to get out of England than it is to get into England. Mm. Um, and the guy just sees, you know, the tour manager hanging out the the bus door. He must have seen this. You know, the bus is coming towards him, and he sees the the tour manager out holding the file of passports, the documents. Yeah. No, just the documents, oh, documents all the scans, yeah. and all the emails and all the correspondence relating to the, the the logistics. And he just goes, "It's three in the morning," and he just goes. And we just drive through. And when we got onto the ferry, I remember we all like laughed and shouted with happiness like so much. Um, because, you know, they've made it. They've made it to Europe. But the insidious side of it was now, how are they going to get their passports? Because they're going to be granted in London. They now need to make it to Europe with haste. Um, so we hatched a plan. We got them. We asked Euroblast to put them on, mm. so they made an arrangement to put them on, so that they could at least play that while they waited for this to work. And it just in time, they got granted. And um, yeah, Mr. Venard, Connor Venard, the guy who does has done lighting for you and a dear friend of mine, um, he went and picked up the passports. Either he got them from the office and he delivered them to yes, he delivered them to Catherine Jackson, who then brought them with Twelve Foot Ninja over to Cologne and I remember being in the parking lot in Cologne when 12 foot turn up seeing their old Aussie mates in dead letter in Germany and they're like oh we got something of yours mate they're like oh shit mate it's just like a fucking uh, parking lot party and it all just worked like clockwork but wow you know that's the planets aligning that is that's so good yeah, but thanks to heroes like Connor and Catherine for, for helping that out. You know? Absolutely. But it's just the irony of the fact that Catherine just so happened to be going with 12 foot just in time to bring it. You know, Euroblast really aligns everything. Like, they really bring it all together. I'm about really to sip do. for water that doesn't exist anymore. Um, See, that was the last sip. I'm, I'm drinking uh, Buddha's Brew Kombucha with super mm. pineapple super greens from Austin, Texas. Mm. It's delicious, but I'm down yeah. to like the uh, the murky stuff. Oh, that's the good shit. Swanee, it gave me a SCOBY. Uh, he gifted me a SCOBY to make my own. Have you seen what a SCOBY looks like? No. A symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. It looks like pig skin. It's like thick bacteria and yeast cultures. Probiotic, it's lactobacilli. He taught me about it on the way back from uh, from the video shoot for this single that's coming out on January 24th. Check it out on all good lo- local video web pages. Um, that was stupid. <laughs> um, long drive, and he taught me all about it. And he basically, every time you make kombucha, you get more SCOBY. So you get all of them. And you can kind of put them in a SCOBY hotel. You can look after them. And they, a SCOTEL. Yes, go tell, gift them to your friends and they can make it. And mine was going really well. Um, if essentially, kombucha is just fermented tea. Mm. So it was like 300 grams of sugar, a gallon of water, 
and about 10 green tea bags. I should have used loose leaf tea and a strainer, but I got all the stuff for it and I put it all on, but I didn't put it in a very nice area. I put it in a cupboard under the stairs, dusty. I think I put a towel over it that maybe had been in a toilet for a little bit. So <laughs> as I'm starting the second fermentation <laughs> bottling process and I put, cause you, you, it, you ferment it with no flavorings because you'll fuck, you'll fuck the scoby up. Um, and then you put it into bottles and you put fruits or, you know, pineapple, super greens, whatever it is that you want to flavor it, which will also add the the majority of the fizziness to it, um, you know, just through the fermentation process. But I'm I'm doing my third of seven bottles and I notice a little speck of mold on the Aww. top of the scoby. And that means you have to discard the whole thing. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. And it was tasting so good as well. It had that beautifully sweet green tea. I think the scoby had been trained with black tea. Um, it was it was bacteria and yeast that fed on the tannins of black tea more. And I just used green because I thought that would be better. But I think it wasn't acidic enough. So the bad bacteria... Because, you know, things like kimchi, they work because uh, chili takes over and controls the environment, makes sure the bad shit doesn't get into it. In this case, it's vinegar, it's acidity. I don't think it was acidic enough. Mm. I think it was too... I remember tasting it thinking, this isn't so... You know, because you can taste it when you're drinking it, right? It's gonna yeah, be it's, it's sour. It needs that sourness, otherwise that it's gonna go off. It's mm. exactly the same thing that that's why how sushi got invented. Um, wow, this is a tangent, but yeah, this is a the only reason sushi's everything is because fish would be preserved inside vinegarized rice because that would keep the bad bacteria at bay, so they could eat the fish. And someone just decided to eat the fish with the vinegar, which must have tasted horrible because that rice would have been so vinegary. Mm. But now that's why sushi rice has. A vinegar, a rice vinegar, um, and sugar and salt solution. The sugar makes it palatable, but that's why it has that tang to the rice. And you have it with raw fish. Look at you go. I love food. I love cooking. I've thought about doing cooking channels before. I might still do that. I did this one Instagram post about a chicken and chorizo paella, and I wrote the whole, I hold the whole recipe out, and uh, some people then remade it, and I got such great interaction from it, and it Dude, was so good. I'm reading. I don't know if you what? can see that. The four-hour chef at the moment, and it's it's about the first chunk of it is meta learning how to learn anything in record speed. But then it's a bunch of dishes that you can cook that take very few ingredients, but mm. they're like astounding dishes. And I can't cook wow. shit, so I'm I'm enjoying this. I'm only on the learning stage so far, but that's, that's cool. an interesting book. Um, yeah. All right. But yeah, I, I do just just to end that off. I love going into detail. That this is my hobby now. It's important when you're doing music as your career to have a hobby. To have and, a hobby. And I love cooking as it because it's it's regenerative. It's looking after your family or your friends. And but I love getting into the culture of the dish. Paella is great because it's learning about why, um, you know, why Valencian paella is how it is. Uh, why sushi is how it is why did it get to that point and what can you do to honor the original tradition of the dish to ultimately make it taste better as well as more authentic i love the history i love the detail it's uh yeah it's a big passion nice i didn't know that about you that's very cool yeah it's a, I, I do i have like a malian cooks highlight on my instagram i don't 
point to it so often, but yeah, there's some story highlights of some food that I make every now and again, and it's like the stories that stay there forever. So yeah, just at Maligan, you can see all these little dishes. Uh, that's the only organized highlight I've got. Everything else is just random stuff. But um, yeah, I'm trying to do other things as well as I do that one. Nice. Well, I'll uh, we'll obviously leave a link to Instagram and all that kind of thing. Um, right. This is the fun, stupid bit. Cool. I'll do, do a quick fire round with everyone. And right. uh, I've recorded a podcast that I haven't uploaded yet. I'll upload it as part of this little series that's going to go out. I did one with Catherine. Right. Uh, Catherine Jackson. And um, the quick fire round. I said, it's quick fire round, one word answers, go. And it turned into a whole list of questions rather than quick fire. I don't, I don't think okay. she understood the concept of <laughs> quick fire. It's brilliant. All right. Well, I'll it's try so and keep funny. my answers low. But monuments have nicknamed me Words McGee because I talk way too much. So, as you okay. probably learned by now, if you're still with us, then that's amazing. Words McGee, a.k.a. Yeah. Mike Mallion. Quick fire round. You ready for it? Let's go. Eggs or porridge? Eggs. Sabian or Zildjian? Minel. Ah, Meshuggah or Miley Cyrus? Meshuggah. America tour or Europe tour? Europe. Bus or van? Bus. <laughs> Euroblast 10 or 11? Can't remember which one's which. So I'll say 11 because it's a newer one. There you go. Scotch or bourbon? Scotch. Wasps or spiders? Spiders. Would you rather walk from Land's End to John O'Groats wearing only a pair of Union Jack Boxer shorts with yay for Brexit written across your chest and back in the bright red lipstick that you stole from a pound shop or... Drink someone else's piss for the rest of your life. I uh, definitely do the walk and enjoy every second of it. With yay for Brexit written across your front. With yay for Brexit written across my front because it has an end date and a memory. And, <laughs> and you can siphon out all of the negative memories with hypnotherapy <laughs> and you can have yourself a damn fine time for some of it. But if you saw that person doing it, I mean, for the first half, you know, like... I picked my route so that I went through all of the Brexit loving places, which most, which there's a lot of areas where you could get through Scotland. You're fucking dead. But like, I don't know, stick to like the most rural areas. I, I can't be dealing with piss for my whole life, dude. Fuck that. Fair, fair, fair answer. Horror or comedy? Comedy. Going to a concert or going to the movies? At this point, going to the movies because I've just concerts too much in my life. Exactly. But I don't go to the movies because I go to too many concerts. Uh, Gandhi or the Pope? Hmm. I'm going to say the Pope, the new one, because he's a bit more progressive. There you go. Alton Towers or Drayton Manor? Haven't been to either. Good. Drayton Towers. Drayton Towers. <laughs> you are the star of a popular TV show. Would you rather it be a literal carbon copy of EastEnders, but you're playing every character, or a 30 minute jam with Mike Mallion on every instrument playing the theme song from The Bill? <laughs> Both combined. <laughs> I'm talking through the whole process really badly overdubbed. Um, no, they both sound amazing. How do you even choose between that? It would have to be EastEnders so that I could then be like, um, what's the guy from the film, you know, oh, hey, Mark, you know, uh, that got the piss take from uh, James Franco. Um, the Imitation. No, fuck no, that's an actual film. Um, you know the one. Uh, I can picture it, but I can't remember it. Yeah. We'll find out. Yeah. 5-4 four or 4-4? Four, 4-4 four. Four, four with underlying 5-4 polyrhythms. Beautiful. Uh, ghost notes or pedal hat? 
Ghost notes. You keep the pedal hat. <laughs> Between the two of us, we'll make up a groove. There you go. <laughs> true, cri- uh, true crime or romance? True crime. I'll have to agree with you there. Boxes Sherlock, or briefs? Sherlock and House. No, House isn't. No, Dexter. Uh, boxes or briefs? At the moment, boxes, but people keep telling me briefs, and I might stop paying attention one day. Mm. Uncontrollable acne or toes for eyes? <laughs> ready for that one um, can you see through the toes yes um, I'll take toes for eyes nice um, either you're too scared to let anyone oh god shit I lost it either you're too scared to let anyone in the world see you blink so that you have to find a quiet place somewhere to get your blinking in or ghost pepper toilet paper Ghost pepper toilet paper. Oh, mate. I already I mean, have, like, you know, acid reflux to the point where most <laughs> poops taste like taste like that, feel like that anyway. <laughs> like, you know, I get enough uh, acidic poops anyway. Okay, maybe, okay, ghost, pep, ghost pepper toilet paper. Say that, okay, say that ten times in a row really quickly. Ghost pepper toilet paper, 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 ghost pepper toilet paper. That took some control. Dude, that was insane. Um no, you know what? Um a quiet place to blink. Because I can I can at least be scared of it, but it doesn't mean I can't do it. A quiet place, not a dark place. I like a quiet place. Quiet. That could be a song name, couldn't it? A quiet place to blink. Mm. Like if you're in a really, you've got to be signed to case code. People though, deal with much worse name. conditions than that, and you know, deal with like real agoraphobia. I know this is meant to be all funny and shit, but like, yeah, no, I'll I'll take the blinking because, fuck the ghost pepper anus. There you go. No way. Don't actually fuck the ghost pepper anus. Okay. Sand for dinner or a pack of crayons for breakfast? Sand. Sand. Um, would you rather fly or be able to turn invisible? Hmm. I'll take flying because then I don't have to fly on an airline to go to tour. Yeah, I'd do the exact same thing. Um, you have one massive hand, like 10 times the size of a normal hand, and it's super, super light, so it actually floats above your head like a helium balloon, or you literally don't have an ass. I mean, is there another way for you to deal with your poop, or do you just blow up? Because th- then you're dead in like three days, and none of it matters. Exactly. Well, if that's where your minds go, I think you'd probably take the hand. I'll take the hand, because otherwise I'm dead. Um, yes. But if you also get rid of, you know, if there is no waste product to then expel and you can just eat and never have to poop, then that's like a gift that I will take gladly from the world. Well, then you choose. The outcome is your decision. Yeah, then if no waste and no need to like regurgitate my poop, then yes, I will take the lack of an us. Beautiful answer. John Brown or Uncle Caney? John Brown. <laughs> <laughs> And that can that concludes the Tesseract podcast with Mike Malian. <laughs> is there anything that you would like to share that I have not? This is your time to mention absolutely anything that you want to share with the world. Uh, Self promotional stuff, anything, kind messages of wisdom. No, I've done all of that. If you missed any You've of it, you can that. go back on through. But it's anyone who does catch me and sees me and supports me in what I do and or learns from me or just engages with me and my silly little journey 
Um, thank you from the bottom of my heart. It means the world. Hope to keep doing good things. Um, interesting things afoot. Not sure of all of them. But thank you to you as well for having me. And yeah, let's see what happens. Absolutely. Where can people get hold of you if they, if you want them to get hold of you? You could find me at Malian, which is my last name, M-A-L to the Y to the A to the N on Instagram. You can find my Facebook page, Mike Malian. Um, you can also find my Facebook profile, but that I'm a bit more personal with. But so stick to yeah. Mike, not Michael. I am still Mike, but you've got to differentiate somehow, right? Um, yeah, I'm Jay and Jamie on on Facebook, yeah. and I don't add anyone to the Jamie because it's kind of a family I, one, you know what I mean? And I've never really been a Twitter guy, so you can't really find me there, which is probably a mistake, but I don't really care because I never really got it. I don't go on Twitter either. I, I, I'll link everything to it, and all my Instagram posts go out on Twitter, but I don't, um, I don't engage exclusively with Twitter, mm. or if I do, it's normally... No, I don't think I do. I, th no. I think I might have posted on there like once in the past year. I think yeah, I might so. link my Instagram to it because I insta, I insta hard, and Insta's like so much more efficient. You can talk to people so much more. The insights are better. I love the story mechanic, um, yeah, so much. So yeah, that's basically me. Um, little old me, you can find me or see me at a at a tour date near you sometime. Maybe I'll even not be broken and I'll actually play the show. Who knows? Absolutely, and if you come into the Austin show, me and Mike are both going to be there partying like it's 2020. What would you have answered, Scotch or bourbon? Scotch, Obviously. for days. So you will find us Good both Lord. drinking Scotch in Austin on that day. Oh, I don't, know if you, I don't know if you will, do you know how expensive it is, is it? Oh yeah, you've got that huge import tax, haven't you? Mate, I had a shot of like a 16 Lagavulin the other day and it was $26 for uh, a shot. What, a 40 mil or a 20 mil? Just an, well, an American little show well it was a little it wasn't like a normal american pool yeah. where they're just like tell me when to stop sir was it like a it finger just... in a in a glass yeah. so that's about 40 mil so yeah i've i've got a lagavulin for nine pounds which would convert to about 12 dollars to 24 sounds like but yeah you've got a huge import tax on scotch so it's 110 dollars in duty free over here so that kind of it's 45 can i bring in some the uk yes my fucking luggage for you Smuggo? Well, not smuggo. Just bring it to share with you. But like, I'm not bringing multiple bottles of fucking myself up. I'll put it on the carne. <laughs> Fuck it. See what happens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you put. You know, someone tell me if you can put scotch on a carne. I'd be so happy. Just put it on your ride. I, I occasionally do that. We got it. The last time I got my whiskey selection was uh, it was a ten year old beg just because it's nice, and um, it was Manchester Academy. Really? And they they got it for us. I'm like. <gasps> Oh, what a dream. I've got nice whiskey. Instead of, every day, Ackle puts Jim Beam and every day, or uh, Jack Daniels, and every day he gets a bottle of bloody Jim Beam or Jack Daniels. And I'm like, can we just like not have this mm -hmm. for like two days, save that money up, and I'll get a nice bottle of whiskey, and then I won't need anything else for the rest of the tour. Yeah, because I just have like one uh, But what about the Glencairn? Yeah. Have you got the Glencairn? I've not had that. But, you know, no, I mean, it's the kind of glass, you know, the... Oh, the, sorry. Yes, the... the oh, sorry, yeah, the, 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 the little like shrunken wine glass yeah it's got the little the like the brandy nose but it's like longer yeah i would i if i I've lost mine or that. broke mine i would put that on the rider like you you get oh. like three times more whiskey for your whiskey every time not in terms of alcohol but in terms of nosing and flavor profile experience that's very mm. good uh, as people might not know of your last guest Catherine jackson i've been working for and with her on the 
her her business, the Whiskey Affair. I've been her Scotch whiskey salesman. I've been. You have? I have run that bar and learned all thirty six regular scotches that I've been having going, and it's um was a hell of a lot of fun. I haven't done it in a while because I've been so busy, but um yeah, thanks to her, I now know about scotch, and I bloody nice. love it. Well, sixth of May, Austin. I'll come and see you in Monuments in Austin, and I'll um. Hopefully, have a sip or two of scotch. Yes, sounds great. I'll bring that nice. Lafroy well, PX if I can. Oh, I've still yeah. got a lot of that. Nice. You know, it's uh, it, it's going slow because it's so strong, but so good. Very nice. Well, Mr. Mike Mallion, thank you very much for your time and energy. Um, Pleasure. Man. I mean, I'll catch up with you very soon, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Love to all who watched through the whole thing. That's pretty big deal i hope you all have a great rest of your day or evening or whatever the rest of your life holds for you